It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. With you until 11 o'clock this morning, Mr. Tate is in the chair across the studio. Steve Kelly with you. The Illini football team is idle, but uh, these two old boys are not idle. <laughs> we're working well, anyway. they got some recruiting done this last week. Yeah, they were out on the road certainly uh, trying to get that done. We'll talk some Illinois football as we move along, some Big Ten football as well. Illinois, one of four teams, actually, let's see, one, two, three, four, five teams that uh, have the open week yep. right here in the middle of the season. Illinois has another open date coming up next month as well. We'll talk about today's games and other matters as well. Major League Baseball playoffs last night. Houston came from behind to beat Boston 5-4. to four. So the Astros lead that series one game to none. Game two is today at 320. Houston just keeps scoring. They I do. Think they, somebody said that I think they had like 36 runs in the, in the first five games. That's top five or six in the history of playoffs. Uh, that many runs in that few games. And, and – uh, that little guy who plays second base, he just keeps Altuve. hitting the ball. Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps hitting it, doesn't he? He's a good little player. Coming up at 7, or a little bit after 7 o'clock tonight, game one of the National League Championship Series. The Dodgers at the Braves in that one. Some of the big baseball news this week, and we're going to touch on this uh, hot and heavy this morning, is the firing of Mike Schilt as the St. Louis Cardinals manager. Tom Ackerman will join us from KMOX in St. Louis in about 10 minutes. We'll talk about that. Will Leach will also be along to lead off the second hour. He's uh, with uh, MLB.com, among the other uh, duties he has in his career these days, a, a Cardinal fan and a guy that follows Cardinals baseball. But that was uh, – We'll have to ask Ackerman what happened in Indiana, too, while we're at it. Yeah, really. You know, they started out the season. They were top – they were upset because they were ranked so low. But, yeah. You know, they were still – what were they, number 10 or 12 or mm-hmm. somewhere in there? And uh, Indiana fans were upset because they thought they should be in the top five. Yeah, Tom Ackerman, an Indiana graduate, a proud Indiana grad. Um, those are two of the guests. Scott Ritchie, uh, we'll chat with him about Illinois basketball and football. Paul Klee will join us from out in Denver. And David Jones from Pennsylvania. Uh, next week, Illinois goes to Happy Valley. My favorite guy from Pennsylvania, except for Eikenberry. There you go. <laughs> That's our guest lineup. In the meantime, we'll have time for... Your calls, if you'd like to jump in on any of these topics, 217-356-9397. Thursday morning, just kind of going along as a regular Thursday morning until the uh, the Cardinal news broke about uh, Mike Schilt. And a lot of has been talked about, a lot has been written, a lot has been uh, discussed uh, on the golf course and in the barbershop and all around here in St. Louis, certainly about that. And I, I don't know that anybody saw that coming. Oh, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I, this is the most unusual firing, and I, I'm sure there have been other firings because of the people behind the computers. But when when they said uh, Moselak and his people, well, his people are the 
folks that are doing all the yes analytics yes and it just would it which gives you a pretty clear indication that something about Schilt uh, he didn't quite agree with with the uh, analytics maybe I mean or didn't go along with him or was in some way not uh, participating as they expect him to and it sounded like he was until he wasn't because mm-hmm. I think I think Schilt being a a cardinal organizational guy was the guy, the type of guy that Moselak wanted until he wasn't. I think there's something that came up during the latter third of the season, and it might have been a rift between um, Schilt and Jeff Albert, Albert yeah. the, the hitting coach, who seems to be uh, Moselak's guy there. And so I don't know what happened, but. Schultz led him to the playoffs three years in a row. He's 53 games above 500 and won 17 straight games in September. Well, here's the problem. The players like him. I know. And they're not going to be able to find anybody that they like as much as him. Or there's, there's always a, a, a feeling of uncertainty when you have a new manager. They, the Cardinals were poised to have a good year next year. Everything was pointed toward 2022 being a really good year. They've got all this money coming back from the people that – that are, are going to be gone. They got sixty million dollars in free money, basically, and they've got uh, all these op- options at shortstop. They got some options at, at, at starting pitching that they can land or add, add to their uh, their rotation. And it's just unfortunate for the Cardinals. I think that they get, get that the mood is not going to be right going in. Not as good as it would have been, but. Um, there's something there that we don't see, and I don't know the answer to it yet, for sure. And it makes me wonder that because they asked Major League Baseball to announce this, normally they wouldn't do it, especially on the day of a, a series clinching game. What's the hurry? That I think they've got their guy, and they want to go ahead and do it and get some stabilization started. I think. I don't know that for a fact. Maybe Tom Ackerman does. Well, we need to talk to somebody that knows more than we do, I guess, Steve, because we're not certain on anything. We're just kind of guessing. But I, I, it's clear that one thing is clear: it's the uh, it's the computers against the guy on the field. And when he said the the guy down there, yeah. In other words, they're all sitting up there watching, and they've got their computers, and they're they're making all these decisions based on the guy down there could be you or me <laughs> these days. And the other thing, by the way, is have you noticed how managers' salaries have gone down? Yes, because they're not as important anymore. They're supposed to carry out what comes down from up above. It's a new world. Yeah, you know, it's all how, how would uh, how would Leo DeRocher have handled this? George Kissel, <laughs> you know that. Mike Schilt was a big George Kissel guy, as were most people coming up through the Cardinal organization. That's where the Cardinal Way thing came from. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I was always a big fan of the Cardinal Way. I'm a little disillusioned with the Cardinal Way in this move because, well, I don't like, not so much that they made the change. You know, there, there were times I wasn't crazy about him bringing Reyes in in the ninth inning either. either. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, fly the guy into town and tell him in person. Don't call him on the telephone. That yeah. was Bush League in my mind. Yeah, really Bush League. Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk more about that. If you have an opinion, feel free to give us a call. Besides Illinois today, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Maryland all not playing. So uh, three top ten teams uh, 
on the sidelines today in Big Ten yeah, play. No, I could have played this week. <laughs> exactly. Get it out of the way. <laughs> Get it over with. <laughs> give, us, give us a week to recover. That game next week is 11 o'clock. You o know that last year that Illinois led Penn State 21-14 to in the first quarter. Yes, I do. And do you know they scored the next 42 consecutive points? I was going to tell you. I, I was going to tell you. I was there. I was not there, but I was working the game over at Biafelt Building mm -hmm. and uh, watching uh, on the feeds. So, I guess I'm glad I'm going to be there. We've been to Happy Valley a lot, and it, Illinois goes to Penn State next year too. How come? I don't know how come, but I was looking at the schedule I for heard some reason. Talking about how, how unusual that is. Yeah. yeah, it happened before, but it seems uh, they'll be heading out that way again. Well, it's nine oh eight. This is Illini Pella oh, Saturday by the Sports way, Talk. One thing I forgot to mention when they were ahead 21 to 14, guess who threw two touchdown passes? Isaiah Williams. Yeah. <laughs> and guess who was on his way to watch? Yeah. Brett Bielma. And that was the end of Isaiah Williams as a quarterback. Right. I don't think Brett got there in time to see the many <laughs> Illinois highlights, but he did get there. That was the day that, uh, that uh, he was hired. Or. Yeah, that, that was the first game that he saw mm -hmm. was at Penn State. Yeah, yeah he did. Talk to the and team. I wondered what he thought when he saw 42 to nothing, and he came up with some uh, entirely different response, you know, like, you know, like they looked pretty good. Or, yeah. Okay, well, we didn't look very good after the first quarter. One uh, basketball note, a guy that had been on Illinois' radar over the uh, years, A.J. Casey, made an announcement last night on his Twitter account that he is committed to Miami. He was uh, once Florida, a, yeah. yeah, Miami of Florida. He was once a, a Kentucky verbal, I guess, or at least uh, people thought that that's where he was going to go. But he has decided he is heading south to play for the Hurricanes. Let's take a call here before we get uh, Tom Ackerman on the phone. And uh, it's a caller from St. Louis. Ryan, go ahead. You're on the air with us. Hey, it's not Illini related. I wanted to ask Warren what he thought about St. Louis University is making a major announcement this week that's going to affect all sports. What is it? I think that announcement is. I don't know. I was going to ask you what you thought it was. It, well, it well, I, have, I have no idea. A major announcement, the huh? The rumors are they're joining the Valley. Okay. Well, we're going to have Tom Ackerman on next, so I bet uh, he might have a little bit on that, too. We'll make sure to make that uh, a point with him. Perfect. Thanks. Yep, thanks, Ryan, for the call. We appreciate it. Here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, let's take our first break. We'll get Tom Ackerman on the line and talk about some St. Louis activities and have more for you after this. Stay with us. Moving up on 913, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Our friend Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis is on the line with us. Not much going on in St. Louis this week, so... We thought we'd catch up with Tom to see uh, what actually is going on. Were, were you as surprised? Yeah, I don't know. What's going There's nothing. What's going on? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, really. <laughs> were you as surprised as the folks up here were uh, with Thursday's uh, activities down there? Uh, yes. Yes, I was very surprised. In fact, I'll tell you exactly where I was. I was getting my oil changed, <laughs> uh, getting my car serviced uh, at Bomberito, which is a great dealership that I work with and. I'm sitting there and, you know, chatting with one of the sales guys and he went to go grab some lunch and I'm sitting there kind of looking at my phone and I, I look at it. I'm like, what? And it was one of my producers at work had tipped me off on something. And I'm like, that, that can't be right. That, And I 
saw that the Cardinals had called a news conference for, you know, like in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, what, what, what's going on? Uh, so they had called a news conference, and then we got the tip. The news conference, I thought, was like, you know, they're going to announce maybe a couple of contracts that they're letting some players go, or maybe they're going to discuss their staff. Well, they discussed their staff all right. Uh, Mike Schilt was being dismissed as manager. I was absolutely stunned. And, and um, you know, I always wonder about those things and never take for granted the, the team coach or team manager relationship. They all come to an end at some point. Um, so, but no, I mean, I never thought that that would happen. I mean, it, it was known that, and it, it, this is always the case that, you know, the, the, not everybody on any team ever a hundred percent gets along with, or is totally aligned with uh, the way things are, if that makes sense. So, you know, everyone, it, it's always open for a baseball discussion. Well, you know, we do things this way, this way, but it was not known that there was anything like that going on with the Cardinals to the extent that they would dismiss the manager. So that causes you to start to go back and piece things together and try to figure out why this happened. Tom, how can you keep the assistants and fire the manager when you don't know who the new manager is? Well, it's one piece at one thing at a time. So I think the next move is, you know, you take a breath and you start to figure out who the next manager is and what that manager would like as a staff. You can't just, like, fire the whole staff. I mean, this was about Mike Schilt and the Cardinals. And so something happened. Now, my guess is, and kind of going back and understanding the relationship between John Mosellock and Mike Schild, and Mo hired Schilty, um, but to go back, you know, you, you start to listen and, and remember what was said. And so my, my feeling on this is that this was something that was going on for a while in Mosellock's mind. Um, or maybe just something that had lingered for a while that he was keeping an eye on that there were some maybe some things that the, the two of them didn't totally align with. And I shouldn't just say Mosellock. I should also say Bill DeWitt Jr., the chairman, who is the boss and who's very, very hands-on, and he and Mo work in tandem. But there was something going on there that was kind of lingering, and then whatever happened in the last week, so that they had a staff meeting on Friday, between that and the phone call to Schilt on Thursday morning, because they did not see each other between those t- periods of time something happened i believe on either that friday or around that time Mosellock and dewitt collected information decided and talked it over and then made the call thursday morning this is over with one year left on schilt's contract it's better for us to cut the cord now because we just don't see a future with this manager based on what he thinks we should be doing this is purely baseball this is not anything outside of baseball i've been assured of that but just like the Walt Jockety move 14 years ago, it's the exact same phrasing that they used. Yeah. Philosophical differences, exact same. And when that happens, it can lead to personality conflicts down the road, and the Cardinals don't want that, so they just made the move. Well, we're not going to know much more until and unless Mike Schilt does any talking, and uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't yet, and – He's looking for a job, so he's got to be a little careful what he says. But uh, as yeah, far he has not, he hasn't said anything. I, I do think he'll probably say something in 
I'm going to guess here, probably in the form of a statement um, and nothing before that. You know, of course, he has the ability to go ahead and say something if he wanted to. And, and you know, I, I, I understand that and I have a, a very good relationship with him. But I think it's also important uh, for him right now to be with his family and to kind of think what's their next step. And also, as you said, be careful about how you're going to craft this mm-hmm. response, right? Because he's he's a good man. I mean, Mike Schild is a good person. He's a good baseball man. I'm sure that he's stung by this, and and it was it was a move that they did not see coming. His family and 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 Mike did not see coming whatsoever. Uh, so you kind of gather yourself, collect yourself. He's going to get another job at some point. But it's hard. I mean, he that's 18 years with one team, and suddenly it's over. At the same time, as I mentioned in the Jockety move, and, I, and I've mentioned going forward, I mean, the Cardinals have a history of doing things that are hard to do. It was not easy for them either. I'm, I'm certain of that. Uh, but that makes the franchise better and that keeps them successful in this model that the Bill DeWitt has crafted, it's hard to argue with his success. They've been very, very good since he took over as owner uh, in 1995. Have you been able to get any player response or reaction to this? You know, there's been very little. I think the the players have, uh, and understandably so, been careful about how they do this too. Uh, I know that Miles Michaelis uh, did talk on MLB Network Radio and to my knowledge, that was something along the lines of that they were surprised. And most of the player reaction has been just that, and really nothing more than that. They're all just, if they're talking off the record, you know, they're shocked, they were surprised, they didn't see it coming, et cetera. I think, you know, Mike Schild was very well liked. I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I think the issue is long-term focus on what this franchise looks like from a baseball standpoint those those things just didn't align but you know something was a last straw for the cardinals here in the last five or six days that kind of you know broke the proverbial camel's back right just sort of abruptly they decided we got to do it right now and that's where we are boy this is a mystery isn't it i mean i can't imagine what where, where he went so um so opposite of what and, and, and again, we're talking about the future. They're not saying that he did a bad job managing this year. They're saying that they don't like his approach to the future. How how could that be? Yeah, yeah, right. So it, it, it is a mystery, but I, I do think that it's not um, – I think that it's it has to be something that was observed a while back that they sort of let let the season play out and then something with within again those last five days was like yep that's it right there okay we're gonna call it so it has to be it can only be a few things I mean it's something about the coaching staff whether it's hitting coach Jeff Albert or you know the approach to hitting or the usage of players you know how they employ pitchers or players coming up from the system or closers or <laughs> Right, right, right. Or it could be um, how a roster is constructed, and maybe they have a disagreement. Schilt believes one way. The front office, which makes the decisions on how to build the roster, believes the other way, and they're going to get the final word on that. He's not going to win that battle. 
Uh, so, you know, that's how it was. And, and they decided to make the move. And so I think it's a variety of things. Um, but I think when a season comes to an end and you sit down and you evaluate all of that, you're Bill DeWitt, you're John Mosellock, you look at one year left on the contract, you look at each other and you say, why are we going to do this again? This is not what we think is best. And, and, and it's also, it also tells you that it's something – it's not like one incident or something because Schilt is was shocked and, and surprised by the move. So it's not like he went home after something happened, like, uh-oh, I'm going to get fired. You're right. I mean, he, he got the phone call like, yeah, hey, good morning. Uh, what? Well, if you've, so, been, if you've been with an organization for 18 years and this happens, you could uh, you say, could you tell me in person? I mean, why does it got to be on a telephone call? Yeah, well, I, I don't know the answer to that either. Um, I don't know all the all the pieces as to why that happened, uh, but I, I, you know, I know that it had to happen fast and it had to happen that day because the Cardinals asked baseball's permission to do right. it publicly, right? And you know, the Giants and Dodgers were playing that night, and they didn't want this thing to go on any further. There was something else that was said in the press conference that I found interesting, the, a couple of things that, that this is something that I wish I had the exact quote that grew organically uh, over time or something like that from Mosaic about this philosophical, these philosophical differences grew over time. He also said uh, that there was a collection of information and he also said, that he was not going to get into what the philosophical differences were to protect my employees and to protect Mike. And then he said, you know, if Mike wants to talk about it, he's free to do so. So, you know, there you go. Okay. Now the question is, what now? Uh, A lot of names have been floated around. Uh, How do you see this going? Do you think it's going to happen pretty quickly? I think it's going to happen quickly. I think they'll have a new manager by the end of the World Series. And I think that the front runner right now is Ollie Marmel, who is the Cardinals bench coach. And there are a lot of reasons for that. He can just jump right in knowing exactly what the Cardinals want to do. He knows all the players. He's very keen on analytics. He's very good at scouting and and video. Uh, He's very good at communication. He's a really, really good person um, and very likable, but he's also, you know, a smart baseball man who is a Cardinal and they trust him, but you know, stubby claps in that dugout too. He's the first base coach, same thing, personality prepares, um, veteran baseball guy, been around a long time, trusted, knows the Cardinals talent from, from the bottom of the, of the minor league system all the way up to the big leagues and, and Marmel does also. So th- those are really two, two really good candidates. Outside of that, you know, outside of the organization, you know, I think Jose Okendo is a name that's going to pop up from people, but I think that ship has sailed. I think that he wanted the job a decade ago. He's been working in, in Jupiter. He lives in Jupiter. He trains players down there, and I think that he enjoys that. The rigors of a major league manager are very real and so you know if he wanted to get back into that i'd be a little bit surprised but you still have to put the name down and then there are people who are connected to the cardinals who are going to get a job like joe McEwing uh over at the white Sox, or skip schumacher who's the 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 second guy in command down on that field with the padres former cardinal understands mosaic system very well 
those are big names. And then you go into the like really big names, like the headliner names, like Mark McGuire, which gets your attention. I don't know how real that really would be. Uh, I heard the name being thrown around last week at Matt Holiday. I really like Matt Holiday, but I, I think that's kind of far-fetched. Um, and then, you know, so none of those guys have big league experience as managers. So who the heck is out there that does? A lot of guys who have jobs right now. Uh, so you got to be a little careful there if you're the Cardinals or if you're that person because you're currently employed. Or there are some who are retired or some who are broadcasters. I think there will be some interesting phone calls made to the Cardinals from outside candidates. I just think the easier move for them is to take someone internal, promote them. That's really how they've done this in the past. They haven't gone outside the organization to hire a manager since Tony LaRusso in 96. Well, when you just, when you describe those first two guys, Marmol and Clapp, it sounded to me like you were describing Mike Schilt. <laughs> yeah, right. same, same and guy by guy. the way, what you use the phrase keen on analytics, that next guy's got to be. Yeah. And and I think managers all over the all, they're all getting less money and they're they're not they're less important than they used to be because the and the message is coming down from the from up on top. It looks to me like. Yeah. Uh, they're very important, but there's less power for sure than yep. there used to be. They don't they don't call the shots as much as as they used to. That's for sure. And the game has changed in that way. I think that Schilt actually, you know, I talk to him every Sunday. As you probably know, he, he did a show with me, and mm-hmm. I think he I think he knows numbers and analytics very well. I think that he used them uh, quite a bit, but you know, he also. Um, you know, has a way of managing with his gut and and using players that he feels are the best fit. And so I think there was a nice little mix there, quite honestly. But, you know, I and I don't know what the exact reason for this is. Because one thing that Mosaic did say, this isn't necessarily about in-game management. Um, it's about, you know, long-term future, how this team should be shaped and looked, how it looks and all that kind of stuff. Um but I do think that Schilt used the numbers. I think he res- well, I'll say this. I think he respected the work that they did in analytics. He told me over and over, we have a lot of information at our disposal, and we use it. Do you think Yachty wants to be a manager at some point? Yes, I do. I think he wants to, to man. I don't know if he wants to be a big league manager, but I know he wants to uh, be in baseball for the rest of his life. So, I think personally that he will step away from the game for a little bit, take a breath, enjoy life, maybe manage a little bit down in Puerto Rico, maybe have some fun uh, with developing some kids, maybe at some point rejoin the Cardinals organization and, and, and work his way uh, in, you know, into that position. I'm of course fans are going to jump right in and say, let's go Yachty player manager like Pete Rose back in the eighties. I, I just don't I don't see that happening, but I, I think that Yachty has the makings of a leader if he wants to be. But again, this is a tough job, and, and as you said, the job has changed also. So it's it's not the easiest gig. Uh, it's and on top of that, it's the Cardinals. So it's it's a little different than some jobs. It's it's a cauldron. I mean, it, the, there's uh, there's a lot of criticism, a lot of second guessing, but if you get it done. Uh, you'll be a legend forever. So that's kind of the enticing thing about the Cardinals' job. Yachty is a legend. And his 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 uh, his red jacket is waiting for him. <laughs> he's he's going to be just fine. 
So I, I think he could do whatever he wants. I, I had somebody bring up to me recently that he'd be an incredible pitching coach. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're absolutely right, but he'd be an incredible anything. I mean, he he really understands the game has a great feel for it. How about the dynamic of uh, Yachty, the manager, telling Yachty, the catcher, to take a couple days off? <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of changed my tune on that. I'm kind of seeing a, a Yachty that maybe will take a few extra days next year. I think Andrew Kisner did a, did a good job. Uh, filling in for him and I you know at first I thought Kisner would be a, an ideal trade candidate for the Cardinals this offseason because he does have a lot of value just like Carson Kelly did but I, I'm kind of taking I'm kind of stepping back on that I, I think that Kiz as a as a really good backup to Yachty would be great in 22 but yeah you're right about that and um, you know who's going to tell Yachty no <laughs> right I mean he's you talk about a boss I mean he he totally uh takes control he is the leader of that team we do have a call for you and marty i want to tell you we're about at the end of our conversation with tom ackerman we've covered a lot of ground but uh jump on here marty calling from pinehurst north carolina well, i apologize i didn't get back from a, a late breakfast with a friend of mine and if i'd known tom was going to be off the top today i would have got back in time okay <laughs> tom what i can't i have our time figuring out i take them at their word and my first thought, by the way, was Yachty as a player manager, too, by the way. But um, Mike Schilt seems to work with people well. He's been in the system forever. And if it's truly about the future direction of the major league team, then I'm guessing it's got to have something to do with some of the young guys coming up, like a Gorman at, at second base versus what they're going to do at shortstop versus – because it just doesn't make sense to me to unload Schilt because he's been successful. I don't like everything he does. Someone's still got to tell me why the hell Reyes was brought in in the ninth inning when he'd blown ninth innings all September. But that aside, this just doesn't make a lot of sense to me if it's about future direction down the road because the manager's going to work with whatever they give him to work with. Yes, but the manager has to be uh, in sync uh, with what the the leadership of the franchise mm-hmm. wants. And, and by the way, Mosellock has to be on board with what Bill DeWitt wants, and he is. You know, people criticize John Mosellock for every move that doesn't go right, yeah. Yeah. but he is doing and directing this team as Bill DeWitt wants it to be well, and has envisioned. Well, then are we going to get DeWitt on the show, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so you know, your your question about that, why doesn't it make sense, actually it makes perfect sense as, as t- the more you look at it, as tough as it was and as abrupt as it was, and as much as I like Mike Schilt, uh, you know, this is how the Cardinals had been. I referenced the 2007 jockety move. It was the exact same thing. Yeah, that's surprising. I mean, it was yeah. an abrupt firing. Now, that one was a little more public. We knew that there was yeah. a divide in the front office between those yeah. who liked the old school way of doing things and those who were going with what Bill DeWitt wanted was his analytics. Guess what's going to win? What Bill DeWitt yeah. wants. It's yeah. his team. So they want this from that, from that standpoint, it's not – from that standpoint, it's not very surprising. Gotcha. Uh, it, the more you look at it, the, the actual news was surprising, but the more you look into it, hey, if anybody goes against Bill DeWitt and John Mosellock's vision, they're gone. Yeah. Well, the, 
seems to me if they want it done by mid-November, it's got to be somebody in-house. Uh, not necessarily. I think that they could have interviews uh, tomorrow. I mean, you know, there well, are a lot of find people. Find out about that, that, Tom, and let us know. <laughs> hey, Marty, <laughs> thanks for the call. I know. I know. That's I got to go. Job, but I, I, I certainly can do that. But but I will say, again, you know, when we talked about who's next, I, I believe that the front runner is Ollie Marmel. I think Stubby Clapp has a chance also. And I think beyond that, it's the field. I, I just think, I think those two make the most sense. They understand the talent. There wouldn't be a lot of catching up to do, really. And you kind of move forward from there, and you put the trust in one of those two guys to lead a team that knows those players. I'll tell you something else, too. They do have to run this by some of their best players. That That is for sure. I think part of the process will be to talk to Yachty. Although he only has one more year, you still want to get his thoughts and, and Wayne own and some of your most trusted Arenado. I, I, I was just about to say, I think a big, big name in all of this is Nolan Arenado. I think you got to make sure that he's on board, too, uh, with, with who the next guy is. Two things real quick, off topic. We had a caller before we had you on from St. Louis asking about a major announcement coming from St. Louis University early next week. Do you know anything about that? Uh, all that I know is that it's going to be on Tuesday at 2 o'clock and it involves the athletic department, and they seem very, very excited about it. So Could it be a joining a league or something or changing uh, leagues? I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but if, it, if, it's, if they're pushing it that it's about athletics yeah. and not about one specific team, then you can take your guesses. But I, I believe that it has something to do with uh, the future of the entire athletic department they seem very excited about it. They made sure they gave plenty of advance notice about when this was. This wasn't like, hey, come out tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I mean, they put this out yesterday uh, and made sure that everyone was prepared for it. So it, it's, uh, you know, I, I could sit there and speculate and take a guess, but it's it's something that's going to affect them for a long, long time and make them uh, – a big player, I would imagine. And Lauren wanted to ask you about your Indiana Hoosiers uh, football team. Oh, I'll withdraw that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they got they got to play here in about what an hour and a half. Uh, my my quick take on them is: can, how many top ten teams can we fit on our schedule? That's, yeah, that's what I want to know. Iowa, I Cincinnati, Penn State, <laughs> now Iowa, Michigan State, yeah. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. With six of the top ten are on our schedule, for goodness sake. Hey, Tom, thanks a lot for your time. I know it's been a busy couple of days, but we appreciate you always uh, stepping up with us. Hey, anytime, guys. I appreciate it. See you. Thanks, Tom. Tom Ackerman, sports director at KMOX in St. Louis. We'll take a timeout to be back with more on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Your calls are still welcome to 1-7-356-9397. Back after this. Welcome back to the show. Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 940 is the time. We're off and running here, heading towards 11 o'clock. Thanks to Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis for spending some time with us. Will Leach will join us at 10 o'clock. Paul Klee at about 10.20. And David Jones, who covers Penn State out in Happy Valley, next week's opponent, will join us also in the second hour. But right now, we welcome the News Gazette beat writer for several sports, uh, Scott Ritchie, on the line with us. Good morning, Scott. Morning, guys. You've got... uh, no game to cover, at least uh, on the football side today, and basketball certainly hasn't started yet. They'll get an exhibition uh, game going next week, but I'm sure you're not uh, 
just sitting around with your feet up all weekend long. But uh, let's let's talk a little basketball. Those guys have uh, started practice. What are you hearing? We did hear uh, kind of uh, uh, last night, uh, semi-related, that A.J. Casey has made a decision to uh, verbal to Miami. He was on the Illinois radar for a while. What else do you hear going on recruiting-wise? Let's start with that. Well, I, mean, I guess to start with A.J. Casey, not a surprise that you know, it wasn't Illinois you know, at the end. I think maybe the the mutual interest there you know, had, had waned a little bit over the last several months. Um, so, I mean, it's another in-state kid that you know, won't be you know, playing for the Illini, but um, you know, there could be one um, in the class of 2023 that they're in pretty good position for. Um, that's going to be on campus um, starting you know, later today and then through the weekend and I think early next week as well. Um, In-state, technically, because he grew up right here in Champaign-Urbana, but you know, Kylan Boswell is going to be you know, on campus you know, kind of combining a trip home to see family with an unofficial. And that's actually what I've been working on this morning is just we'll have a pretty big feature in Sunday's News Gazette on him. He's a five-star point guard in the class of 2023 just has had an incredible in the last five months one you know uh was kind of a de facto state title in california you know with his high school team and then won a peach jam title with, with his eybl team won a gold medal you know with team usa at the u16 fiba america's championship in mexico um so kind of just a pretty impressive impressive you know basketball player just an impressive young man got a chance to talk with him and his family um, this week how many offers do they have out now I I always wonder about this because I know that some of the people that they've offered they really want and some of the people they offered I think are backups aren't they yeah I mean Brad Underwood certainly is going to make sure he has options Um, and I've got (laughs) my own list if we just want to look at the class of 2022 start with they've offered 72 oh come on 72 (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's it's sort of a i mean that number i think has grown because of the the change changes changes plural you know in the coaching staff and you know a lot of you know these guys are offered by you know orlando antigua or jim coleman you know they were the lead recruiters there so i mean that when they left that kind of changed things a little bit and you know when Chester Frazier and Jeff Alexander and Tim Anderson you know got you know on staff or or promoted in Jeff's case that changed it so it's a big number um, they've got two commitments of course Monsieur Harris and Jaden Epps a lot of those 72 have committed elsewhere um, but yeah it's a it's a big number in class of 2023 it's not quite as big of a number only 42. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, they got time. So, so you're over yeah. 100 there in those two classes. And then 2024, well, your high school sophomores, there's 15. And then just four, just only four offers out to high school freshmen that have yet to play a, a game of high school basketball. All four of those guys being in-state recruits. It's kind of like the sales game. You can't uh, expect a yes if you don't throw out <laughs> a proposal, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, they won't commit unless you, they know you're interested. So. Right. It's that's been Brett Underwood's, you know, his strategy since he got here. And you know, is every offer the same? I mean, no. And I think everyone sort of understands that at this point. 
Um, I, I had someone reply to me on Twitter that you remember the time when you only offered the players that you were actually going to take. Right. Um, That's not that long ago. That's Lou, exactly. what Lou Henson did. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just not, not the case anymore. And uh, this is not you know, unique to Brett Underwood either. I mean, this is just sort of the way it goes at most programs. The only team like, I got off the top of my head I can think of that maybe is still does it you know, the quote-unquote old way is Villanova. You know, Jay Wright does not offer that many guys. And he tends to get the ones that he wants, including Cam Whitmore, who you know, had Illinois in his top three. Have you had to uh, turn in your preseason AP top 25 yet? I did. It was due Thursday. Okay. So, Where'd you have the uh, Illini? Well, again, because I had ranked the top 100 teams. Right, in right, the country, right. Uh, in the, let's see, that was last weekend. Um, so it didn't change from there. I had Illinois at number five, you know, in that ranking, and I kept them number five when I submitted my ballot, you know, for the AP. And I have a feeling I might have Illinois ranked higher than the other 63 voters you know, in the AP poll, but I don't mind that. And, you know, just watching you know that open practice last weekend, really sort of just validated my own thoughts about, you know, what, what this team could be. So um, I'll have them that high to start, and then we'll see where the season goes from there. Well, tell us more about what you saw at that open. We weren't able to, to see that, but uh, how did that go for you? And did, did you uh, were there certain things you were looking forward to uh, seeing, and did you see them? I mean, I was just looking forward to seeing all of it because, yeah. I mean, we don't get that opportunity, you know, ever. So it was good just to lay eyes on the team so I'd have a better idea of what I was talking about. You know, because I feel like I had an idea of what, you know, the team could look like this season. But it's just sort of based on you know, what I saw last year and maybe what I knew of the transfers and the freshmen. So just simply seeing them in the fall was good. But, I mean, Andre Cabello, I know everyone has sort of talked about him you know, how this could be a really you know, breakout sophomore season for him. But, I mean, it could be. He he makes plays that nobody else on the team can make. And he sees the game differently. And we saw that, you know, last year as a freshman, but you know, it's just there's more of that, I think, this year. And, you know, he shot the ball pretty well in practice. They all shot the ball really well in practice and you should shoot the ball well in practice. But um Brad Underwood talks about, you know, this will be a better shooting team and I, and I can see that. I mean they have to make them when it counts. But I think they, they've got a lot of options there. Um, of the freshmen, who I think it'll be tough for any of them to get playing time, because, I mean, who are you going to take it from? I mean, they're, they're also, you know, play on the wing, if so that means taking minutes from, you know, maybe Jacob Grandison or DeMonte Williams, and, you know, those two veteran guys will make that difficult because they don't make mistakes. They fill their role really well. But of the three freshmen, you know, Luke Goody impressed me the most. I didn't. I was sort of watched them more just because I hadn't seen them play in person before. And you know, Goody impressed me. Just he didn't make that many mistakes. He shot the ball really well from three, and, and he had hit some mid-range shots as, as well. And just from a physical standpoint, maybe being ready for the grind that is the Big Ten, I think he's ahead of the curve compared to um, – RJ Melendez and Brandon Pajimski. So, I'd be curious to see what happens you know, with those guys. Well, you know, uh, 
Corbello's so good in the half court. I think the team will be better in the half court. I don't think they'll be better in the, in the full court because I think Iowa is was a bit, as good as anybody in a full court game, and I don't think you can replace that. I don't think they have replaced that, but they have in 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 inserting Corbello as a starter this year. What he I don't understand how he gets around guys. I mean, they do a pick and roll, and, and the next thing I know, he's he's around his guard, his defender, and he shoots. He's got an awful lot of easy shots that he gets. More so even than his pass. He's a magical passer, but it's interesting if you analyze it that he's he's as much a shooter as he is a, a passer. And his passing is incredible, although he will make bad passes. He will, because he thinks he can do the impossible. And, and, and he is never going to be discouraged by a mistake. And here's the interesting part. Underwood's not going to be discouraged by one of his mistakes either. Right. He had to learn. I think that's a, that's the... That's the thing that Underwood had to accept is that the guy is, in order to do the things he does, he's going to make a mistake now and then. He's going to make a bad pass now and then. But anyway, well, I think, do, do you, you live, agree on that? You that live t- with it, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I don't think they'll be as good in the full court without Io because Io closed better than anybody we've ever had, I think. His closing on a fast break was just sensational. Yeah, and, and they don't have that guy that I, that I know of. Um, but yeah, Curbelo just, he has a knack for weaving his way through traffic, getting to the rim and he finishes really well, even though he's not a, a big guy, but he, he knows the angles. And I think what stood out to me the most, and you know, we saw it last year, um, but again, you know, in that open practice was when he gets among the trees, so to speak, like he is very measured. Like he doesn't rush. He he'll, he uses you know a change of pace even you know attacking the rim you know just to throw the defender off a half step where he can then take the the advantage um, yeah it's a it's a big part of his game and like if he can be even let's say a mid thirty percent three point shooter then like he could be a, a serious weapon for Illinois well he's going to be a serious weapon I guarantee that. I mean, he's uh, he's amazing. When they take him out, they don't do the same things offensively. They can't do the same things offensively. He's just uh, has that special quality. It's it's amazing. I I think he's in big games. I think he's going to play over thirty minutes. And as much as Underwood likes to substitute, and he will substitute early, but as when we get into those big games, watch how many minutes he plays. Well, let's talk yeah, about football real quick. Let's, let's, uh, we, we don't want to let you get away I with mean, that. I, I, guess, I guess we can. <laughs> <laughs> no law against it, is there? <laughs> but do you think what, – what's your final take on, the, uh, on, on the, uh, the last outing, and did you think that Wisconsin had any special knowledge of what Illinois was trying to do? And, you know, and, and was there a tell somewhere out there that, that allowed them to – stop everything Illinois attempted to do offensively. Well, I mean, I think the tell is that Illinois can run the ball. Uh, I mean, that, that's Wisconsin's strength is stopping it. And then Wisconsin knew that Brandon Peters, Archie whoever it was going to be, like the passing game was not going to do anything to help the Illini. So, I mean, they could focus on shutting down what few run attempts Illinois tried. And, I mean, that their plan going into the game was to throw the ball. And they threw the ball on 
unsuccessfully on their first two possessions. And like, I, I didn't understand that approach is knowing that you can't throw the ball. You haven't thrown the ball. You can run the ball. And it was essentially just seemed like they were just ceding that to Wisconsin. It's like, well, we don't think we can do that either. So we'll try to throw and like, just give chase around the ball a couple times. See if you can do it. Maybe he breaks a big one in that kind of puts a a roadblock up for Wisconsin where they where they weren't expecting it. Um but uh just the offense has you know let the left the Illinois defense hanging out to dry for a few weeks now. And I, I don't see that necessarily changing. Yeah. You so, don't see what you see change coming at quarterback? I, I made the point with Steve a while ago, you know, in the first quarter against Penn State last year Isaiah Williams threw two touchdown passes. <laughs> I'm not suggesting anything. I'm, I'm just saying that, that that's what happened. But uh, boy, that's a. I I don't like the idea of playing Penn State next week. I think that's really gonna. It's gonna be another Wisconsin. I think. Yeah, you're probably right, and I mean, I don't know how Illinois can go back to Brandon Peters again if he's healthy for that game. It's just. I mean whatever the last almost calendar year has done to him. I mean, it's just, he's not the same quarterback that he was in 2019 and briefly in 2020 for that Nebraska game. I mean, he had some ups and downs in that bowl year, but he's just been objectively bad this season and at the end of the 2020 season. And, you know, it's telling when the other offensive players, when you know they talk about Art Sikowski is that he just brings an energy to the huddle, and they rally around him, and they don't do that with Brandon Peters. So we'll see what the coaches do. I mean, I think Tony Peterson wants Brandon Peters to be the, the starting quarterback, but at some point like, you just have to you know, pull the trigger and make a choice and, and go with it. So um, next week, a week from today, we've got uh, some double duty football game in Happy Valley, then the first basketball exhibition game Saturday night at the State Farm Center. It'll be good to to see the Illini basketball team all playing on the same side and see, and even, you know, it's an exhibition game, I get that, but at least uh, you'll get a little bit of an idea of what a rotation might look like. Yeah, I think early, and then if the game plays out, I think, as expected with Illinois handling St. Francis, um, I think you get a chance to see you know, the freshmen, maybe see, you know, see more Austin Hutcherson, maybe you'll know, see more uh, Benjamin Bosman for Donk. Um, you know, opportunity for those guys to get some, some time and maybe show what they can do and you know, work their way into that, that top line or so. Hey, Scott, appreciate your time as always. We'll um, look for your uh, information in tomorrow's Sunday's News Gazette, and we'll see you Monday at the Esquire. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks. Our guest, by the way, at the Esquire Monday night is Nancy Fay from Illini Women's Basketball. Thanks to Scott Ritchie for his contributions, as always, here on this program and others on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM. We'll take our final break here in the first hour and be back with hour number two. Stay with us here on DWS. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana.
Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. And welcome back to the show, everybody. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up, heading towards... 11 o'clock, as usual, with the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. An active first hour, Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis was our first guest, and that was one of the primary topics of the show, the firing this week of Mike Schilt. And our next guest, I'm guessing, has an opinion or two about that. We welcome our friend Will Leach from MLB.com. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good morning. Please tell me everything Ackerman said. Because <laughs> feel a lot in the dark on this stuff. Certainly a pretty fascinating week. Uh, honestly, one of the most shocking things I've ever been a part of as a Cardinals fan. Like I, I, I the amount of news that could have come out of the Cardinals this week. This is pretty low on the list of things I was expecting. That's for sure. Yeah, I thought if they had anything to say about the manager, it might be an extension to his contract and. Uh, but when they called it uh, so quickly, they, they said in 10 minutes we're doing a Zoom uh, press conference. And that was that, that uh, kind of put the, uh, the flag up that something well, was that, going on. That contract was a, was a little part of this whole thing, I think too, so. Because they, they're thinking in the future, and they thought, well, wait a minute. If we give him a three-year addition, you know, uh, maybe that's not what we want to do. I, I think, Will, that was just a little tiny part of it, don't you? I think that, you know, certainly he was one of the more underpaid uh, managers in baseball, and I think he probably was expecting a raise, but, you know, reasonably so. I think anyone that has had the kind of success he's had with the Cardinals would expect at least some sort of moderate raise. Uh, more to the point, the thing that I find really – there's a lot of things I find surprising about. But they're not really necessarily – interestingly, they're not really related so much – to like his quality as a manager, right? Like I think he was a good, not great manager. Like he did, I think he was a better manager than than the guy that came before him and, and generally stayed out of the way. And I didn't think made things actually worse. Uh, But more to the point, this is really not how the Cardinals operate, right? Like they've had five managers since 1980, three of which are in the hall of fame for crying out loud. Like they love continuity. They love security. They love having like, just like they love stability more than anything else. Like you think about what everyone's thoughts about Mike Matheny, he, he was under fire for like three or four years before they ever let him go. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Schultz was under fire for five or six days uh, before <laughs> they made right. this sort of move. So it, it was certainly uh, uh, shocking in that way. I think the whether you, we can have a, an argument about whether there's a better manager out there. Schultz had his issues to be sure, uh, but like unlike Matheny. The players liked him. There were no issues with the players. Matheny had kind of lost the clubhouse by the end. And the thing I find most surprising about it is John Mozeliak and and Schultz have been together for 16 years. Like, they've been working together forever. You know, when when Schultz was the bench coach, uh, when Matheny was the manager, the general assumption was, well, if anything happened to Matheny, it would obviously be Schultz that took over because he is Mo's guy. So uh, the idea that uh, I think that's what's truly shocking about this not so much that, like, he deserves to stay. How could they do that? It's really just very out of character for the Cardinals in a way that uh, I'm not sure we've still quite got all the reporting on. Uh, quite up here because, honestly, that press conference, that Zoom press conference was fair to say, and uh, you, I, I can say this to, to two fellow journalists, uh, not the most enlightening and informative and, and forthcoming press conference I've ever seen. I think I generally find that when you, when you have press conferences where you kind of, 
and this is a Kevin Warren problem, right? When you have press conferences but you don't say anything, right. all it do, does is raise more questions. And I think that's kind of what we've seen here. Well, something about the analytic planning for the future is what this was about. That and the fact they didn't want to extend that contract. I don't think it's about I don't think it's about putting Reyes in in the ninth inning, although that was a bad right, decision. I but I, I think it has to something. It's, it's, it's the planning of how they're going to handle the pitching or, or it's how they're going to I, – I, it's got to be something like that, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think that's what's, what's most surprising is I would get that if it were Messini or even someone like La Russa, who was not always on the same page with Mo and, the front, and DeWitt in the front office. Schilt is the front office guy. He's the company man. That's why he was there. And so, like, he was kind of set in to be the conduit between the front office and the clubhouse. And it seemed that was something that he'd done successfully. Now, we saw with Matheny, you know, Matheny, when he first got hired, his first couple of years, he made some mistakes, but it was clear he was trying to learn and trying to improve. And I felt you'll kind of live with the mistakes. After 2013, after they made the World Series, he kind of asserted a little bit more authority and wanted more power over personnel sort of stuff. And that was what I think he got, he got on the wrong side of the front office. Maybe that's what's happened here. Is it certainly seems strange. I mean, Mo himself said that uh, at the end of the season, they did not plan on doing anything like this at all. It was all something that's happened since the season in. That's 16, 17 years of history with the franchise and with Mo to all go sour in five days. Like, I agree. I think what you're saying is right. I think, it's, I think there was clearly some disagreement, and I think that's fair. I would love to hear more about what that was because it must be a pretty profound disagreement to go from 17 years of everyone being on the same page to five days where it goes off the rails. And, and to, to me, that, that's perhaps the thing I find most surprising. Isn't it interesting uh, in the last few years how the term analytics has taken over baseball and, and other sports as well? It's even moved into golf in, in some some areas, but... Uh, you know, the computer uh, stats on this and that and everything instead of just a gut feeling that the managers would used to have. And it's really changed, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's something that, I, frankly, I thought Schultz was kind of on board with. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that he was there. You know, I think it's very rare to find those managers, though it's worth noting that uh, the White Sox have one uh, that, that are generally not huge analytic guys. The White Sox have one. They're in the playoffs. The Astros have one. They're in the playoffs. Uh, like, I think the idea that uh, uh, Dave Roberts, uh, the Dodgers, so that's an analytically-driven team, but a lot of times analytic people don't love some of the decisions he makes. I think there needs to be a little bit of a push-pull. I actually feel like there's been a turn in the last couple of years where a lot of these young managers, who are Jay Singler from the Padres being a great example of this, these young managers who were brought in to like be that conduit with the front office, and a lot of times the players are like, yeah, we don't respect you. <laughs> and like we need, we need you to have kind of a little bit more old school to you. That's what I think I actually thought Schultz had done pretty well. Listen, I want to be clear. I don't really feel like Mike Schultz was this, incredible once-in-a-lifetime manager that the Cardinals are foolishly letting get away. I would be so, There's been some thoughts that like, you know, someone's going to grab Schilt. I'm just going to guess that Schilt will not be a manager somewhere in the major leagues next year. Maybe someday down the line he will be, but I, I don't know if there's like a clamoring for him. I think the idea was he'd always had the job because he had such a great familiarity with the Cardinals organization and had been with him so long, which is another thing that makes this so surprising. So I agree. A lot of those things we're talking about contract and maybe disagreement about, about uh, the future of the, of the franchise and the way they want to run this stuff. I'm sure those things were factors, but boy, they'd have to be pretty massive factors to go from five days 
uh, from from on 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 Thursday saying, okay, well, obviously, so how much is the extension going to get to not only fired. Remember, when the Cardinals fired Matheny, Bozalak and DeWitt were there, and they were just grave and sort of like, we'd hate to do this to such a good man like Mike Matheny. We love who he is, and we're sad that it came to this. That's not the tone of that press conference the other day. The tone of that press conference was, yeah, see, we're moving on. Uh, and he was shocked by it. I hope, by the way, if I ever get fired from something, the guy that fires me does not call a press conference and say, oh, yeah, he had no idea it was coming. <laughs> Who knew? So I, <laughs> yeah. I think that I, it's, it's certainly uh, it was an unceremonious exit in a way that I still I'm not sure entirely adds up. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just call you on the phone and let you know that uh, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> uh, you're in regular. Yeah. yeah. You're in regular contact, Will Leach, with our friend Bernie Miklas in, in St. Louis, and he's probably got uh, the best pulse on what's going on uh, in uh, St. Louis, especially with the Cardinals. Uh, what conversations have you had with him since then? Yeah, we actually we do a weekly Seeing Red podcast. I'll type it into your podcast browsers, and you can hear our conversation about this that we had on, on Seeing Red. And he is, I will confess, he is probably more the way that it kind of sounds like Tom Ackerman was, where he believes, uh, he, he, is, he is of the belief, because uh, uh, Bernie has actually long had DeWitt on his show, and they have a they have sort of connection. He has long kind of tried to emphasize when we say John Mosellock made the decision, what we should be saying is DeWitt and Mosellock made the decision. You know, DeWitt is not one of those owners who, you know, pops in every six months and say, hey, everything running fine here? Okay, good, then leave. Like, he's a very active owner and very involved in what's going on. So clearly there must have been something there. I just say, like, and I think it, listen, the company line on this is a, fun, a philosophical disagreement, and I have no doubt that was there. The question is, is there something more? And we may never find out something more. You, you, you know as well as I do how much harder it is to report over Zoom. <laughs> like if you don't, you don't get a, it's hard to, to dig into a lot of this stuff the way that we used to be able to. But uh, it just really feels, and even Bernie agrees with me on this, it certainly feels like a big move over what, like, philosophical differences are something that build up over time. I'm assuming they've had lots of philosophical differences over the years together because they're different people. Everybody has, we have philosophical, the only person I don't have any philosophical difference with ever is Lauren Tate. I agree with him 100% on everything that he does. But everybody else, we're human beings. We have disagreements all the time. To have the philosophical differences suddenly get so big that he's fired in five days feels unusual. Well, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I have a lot of philosophical differences with a lot of people, but I've never had one single one with Steve Kelly. <laughs> have we ever had a – there must be a philosophical difference in there somewhere, Steve. Well, we, we have to disagree on something, but well, we, we don't come across it very we'll often. we think about it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to switch you over to football because I don't think we're going getting anywhere on, on what really happened here in St. Louis. Uh, what happened to the Illini last week? Why did they look so bad against – Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, Illinois had lost games, but not like this. This was a this yeah. was a rout. I think that was what was most distressing about it. Even when they've lost, they're like this has been some close games. We're kind of out loud. UTSA is going to be in the top twenty-five with a couple more wins. Like, and they, I, Illinois had a chance to win that game. Really had a chance to beat uh, Maryland. Had a chance to beat. Through the, there were opportunities there. This was the first time that you really that, that it felt like like the dog days. It really felt like like this is this, all, what people really want out of Bielma, at least starting out is to be able to not have those non-competitive games. And that was the first. No, uh, Virginia was they were kind of behind early against Virginia. were never able to get back under it. This was they were barely even there. And I think what, you know, there's a lot of ways to make, a, uh, to get fans excited. Winning, obviously, being the best one. 
but you know this is the, this is the hard part of this transition, right? Like Bielema is trying to get set up where Illinois can start winning, but kind of the the groundwork he's laying, particularly on offense, tends to be more of a uh, a less exciting way. Like he's trying to do the Wisconsin way or the Iowa way, and that makes sense. But right now, when the the talent isn't there, there or more maybe the, the talent for that system is not necessarily there, and it's not very exciting. It's impossible to watch. <laughs> it's, and that, that was that was as rough when uh, Robert Rosenthal from uh, from Alani Board mentioned on Twitter today. It has been I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you guys mentioned this on the show yet. It has been ten years ago today that the Alani were last ranked. That is a truly astounding fact. My son turns 10 next month. He's never been alive. <laughs> has been ranked in football. That's very, very depressing. So I understand on one hand, I get you're going to have games like last week when you're trying to turn a ship around, you're trying to put in a new system. I get that. I also feel like I have said that exact same thing about four or five times in the last 10 years. Oh, it's a new staff. We've got to get things turned around. You're going to have games like this, and the games keep happening. So last week was definitely – Last week was the one you're like, oh, okay, now, now, I, now I will not feel guilty about only thinking about the basketball scrimmage this morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of what happens when that happens. Well, you know, the thing that bothers me about it is, is all these super seniors. We've got really, uh, if you count all the seniors, it's right at 40. Uh, that's super seniors and regular seniors. And boy, uh, what's going to happen when they're when these guys are gone? <laughs> and we thought they were our best players, and and yeah. they just didn't perform in this particular. And yeah. they, they just haven't lived up. To, they haven't lived up to expectations. I guess is fair. That is the kind of scary part, right? The idea that this year this team is probably going to be more talented than next year's team is, right? That's kind of that's kind of the scary part. That said, you know, if he's trying to set up a system, they're going to be more part of it and more closer, a higher percentage of his guys than you saw this year. I mean, there, we certainly see with the offense, particularly at the quarterback position, like not only struggles, but just trying to put a lot of square pegs in round holes <laughs> and just trying to make a lot of things fit that aren't necessarily uh, fitting the right way right now. So I think that is it's going to take time, and I want to have patience. I'm ready to have patience. It just feels like I've had to have patience on four different occasions with four different coaches for 10 years now. So it would be nice to be able to have, at some point have uh, have uh, uh, see. Uh, there have been signs of hope early this year. I've forgotten them after last week. Those are gone. I don't remember them anymore. Have you cleared out your, looked at your schedule yet and figured a time to get to town to see this basketball team coming up here in the next few months? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've got one in January. There's, a, there's, there's two. I was looking for two home games in the span of a week, and I right. think I found it. So I'll be, so I'll be coming there. I'll be coming there after the new year, and uh, uh, if I can find a ticket for crying out loud, <laughs> it's great, right? You know, to, to think. Uh, I think this is. I think this is going to be remembered when there's going to be so many fans in. There. I mean, we see the, the the student tickets selling out, and everyone's all excited to be able to go to these games. Obviously, there were no fans last year, and that was that was unfortunate to have that incredible team and not be able to have fans. But even in the years before that, until until that last season, we all remember the, that that Iowa, that great last Iowa game with fans. But like it was a year before that where they were not like the atmosphere there was not that electrifying. Like I think now to be able to get that place full, to have this exciting team, and to have had a year where there were no fans, it is built up in a way that I cannot wait to see. <laughs> I just cannot wait to see, and there's no way I'm going to miss it. The last time, the last Illinois game I saw in person was the game that we thought Iowa, that Iowa uh, 
pulled up against Michigan State yeah. on the last on last play. We thought, and I, I mean, you remember, we all thought, oh, that's it. Like, is he gone? Will we ever see him play for Illinois again? It turned out we did, <laughs> and we saw a lot of great stuff. So uh, I'm pretty excited to get back out there. We'll let you go with this. What uh, what exciting are you working on these days? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm actually at the I'm at, I'm I'm at game day right now because uh, I'm in Georgia for the second uh, third, second time in three weeks. Uh, the Kentucky Wildcat Georgia's hosting uh, game day uh, against Kentucky. So I'm here writing a story about game day in a I wouldn't say post COVID world, but though looking around, I think most people are acting as if it's a post COVID world here. Uh, but uh, kind of how game day kind of runs. In a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a world where uh, people are kind of opening back up and getting back to normal and kind of the excitement that comes with that. That'll be a fun piece I'm writing for New York Magazine next week. We'll look forward to seeing that. Yeah, you're right there in, in town with, the, with what could be the best team in the country. <laughs> it is remarkable. It is, it is very strange to be like, I mean, last week they played Auburn, you know, their, their big rival, and it was the same time as the Illini game. And I kept being like, come on, guys, we can turn it over here. And my family was like, we are not changing the channel to the <laughs> Illinois game. I don't care how loyal you are. We are not watching that game. This is a terrific team that uh, uh, they, and it looks like, you know, th- people talk about this season being like 2007, where there's like, that was the year where Kansas and Missouri fought for the national championship and all these crazy things happened. This has been a really funny year of college football, except for the fact that Georgia looks more dominant than everyone else. So mm-hmm. they haven't won a title since 1980. They are, uh, they, they really feel like this is a year, but they're afraid to say that out loud because when they say it out loud, it doesn't happen. And look out for Kentucky. They're undefeated. <laughs> yeah, they're good. They're good. They're ready. They're ready. They are definitely ready for basketball season. I can agree. <laughs> having, seen, having seen people around here, I can encourage you that they are definitely ready for basketball. That's Will Leach. Thanks for your time. We always appreciate visiting with you. Of course. Be safe. Have a great weekend. You too. It is 1018 here on DWS. Thanks to Will Leach. You can uh, read him various places. Uh, around uh, mlb.com is one new york magazine is another he does some work for uh, one of the golf magazines from time to time as well he's got a book out he's got another book coming out so uh, just google will leach u of i graduate and uh, doing quite well out there we'll take a break and be back with more Illini pella saturday sports talk after this it is 10 21 and this is Illini pella saturday sports talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11 o'clock. And as always, we enjoy the opportunity to have our friend Paul Klee report in from our Denver Bureau. Mr. Klee, how are you doing this morning? How are you guys doing? Good to talk to you. It's been a little while. It has. We thought with the start of basketball coming up and the uh, preseason polls coming out and the AP poll coming uh, soon, we talked to you a little bit about uh, that, and uh, you're going to have Gonzaga number one in uh, your poll? <laughs> I haven't moved them in like five years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I move them um, just for fun, for pretend to remember what that's like, but I got them, I got them one. I got Texas two. I got Jarrett Howard Longhorns number two this year. How about that? Where do you have the Illini? I got the Illini at 11. Is that good enough? No, that's a little low. Is that low? <laughs> oh, boy. Wait till you see Corbello. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, gosh. I love him. I love him. <laughs> Lauren, you know how I feel about Frank Williams. And this guy, oh, he's got a little. I think my, my 10-month-old has a little bit of Frank Williams to him. I can't guard <laughs> this kid. <laughs> they're, they're tough when they're at that age. There's no doubt. Uh, so you, you're keeping busy out there, I'm guessing, in Denver and uh What's your main focus right now? 
Well, we got a we got the the Broncos right now. Yeah. They're in um they're in a must win mode in October for the coach because I don't think the coach is going to make it if he doesn't win on Sunday. So they got the Raiders in town on Sunday. I guess that's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Nuggets are starting up. They have um they got a shot this year. The Nuggets got a shot. I think they got a real chance. Last year they kind of got knocked out by injuries. They got a chance, and then you got the Avalanche. They're the betting favorite to win the Cup. So there's a lot of good stuff to write right now, but I tell you what, I spent about three hours on my AP Top 25 poll on Thursday, which is way too much time to spend on a preseason poll. But um, that, the Big Ten is, is, um, the Big Ten is, a, is a monster. Whoever wins that league. Where would you put Arizona? They should be the number one overall seed, whoever wins the Big Ten. I, I want to know where you put Tommy Lloyd's team. I got Tommy too high too. Oh dear, he's where are you mad at? at me? I think I, I think he's mad at me because he, um, you know, coaches don't like expectations. <laughs> they they would much rather be not in the top ten than you know be somewhere else. But I got Tommy at nineteen. I think Arizona, they've got good players. They've got three good players. That Arizona Illinois game is going to be a a dark horse for one of the best games of this non conference. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take it's gonna take Coach Lloyd a little bit of time to get Arizona back to where it was. You know, they've they've been decimated by transfers. Obviously the investigation. He's had a coach leave. Uh Jason Terry's now coaching in the Nuggets organization. So they've got um they've got a lot of work on their hands, but I I've known Tommy Lloyd for a very long time. He was my softball coach in college and um He's going to get that thing rolling. He's a, as smart of a basketball man as I've ever been around. Talking to Paul Klee, you mentioned the Nuggets, and that uh, reminds me that uh, Georgie Bashanasvili uh, signed a contract with that organization. Could you tell us yes. more about that? Well, he's a big Nikola Jokic fan, um, which uh, the best basketball SID in the country, Derek Burson, informed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's right at home. He's right where he wants to be. He gets to to play with the Joker, the NBA MVP. So I'm sure he's thrilled about that. Uh, there's not a lot of room on this Nuggets roster right now. It's it's a roster that has really stayed together, which is unusual uh, in the professional ranks for about six years now, even seven years. They've had the same guys with a few tweaks here and there. So it's going to be tough to break through for him. But I will say this. They, they put a, a high value, and I, and I really mean this because every coach and program says this, but the Nuggets really do. They put a high value on character, and they really like character guys. That's why they drafted a Joker. That's why they drafted Jamal Murray. It's why they went out and got Aaron Gordon. They like guys that are invested and committed. And from what I saw with, with your guy, Georgie, uh, he's going to fit right into that mold. Well, yeah, he he'll win all the popularity contests. I guarantee you that. Does this mean he's probably going to wind up in the G League before it's over? He'll be in the G League. Yeah, he'll yeah. be playing for their. Uh, that's my guess. I shouldn't say that for sure, but I imagine he's going to be with uh, the Grand Rapids squad. So he'll be back in the Midwest. We've got the uh, phone line open two one seven three five six nine three nine seven. Paul Clee, former News Gazette. Sports writer, basketball beat writer, now working with the Gazette out in Colorado is our guest. And Michael is listening in Texas. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, good morning, everybody. I appreciate your show. Thank you. 
A quick two quick questions. Uh, you think with the development for Curbelo that he probably will be the most exciting point guard uh, since Frank Williams? Mm. I think uh, everybody here agrees with that. Uh, Lauren's kind of giving well, me that grouchy look, so we'll no, see. No, I, I don't think that we, uh, <laughs> he's different than anybody we've ever had. I mean, yeah. he, I, yeah, to compare yeah. him with anybody doesn't make sense because he's just different. I mean, he's way different than Frank Williams. Yeah, he is different. Uh, he's just so clever that I mean, this is like going to a magic show and have, having a guy do things and stand up there and do things, and you can't understand how he did them. I, I see him get around somebody. And I said, "How did he do that?" I mean, I don't, I don't even know how he did it. But it's, it, I guess, if you go back and look at it, you see. But he's amazing that way. He's going to get dribbling skills and passing skills. Nobody had anything like that except Williams. And my football question is: is given the debacle that Lovey left the program in. Is are you surprised that uh, the uh, head coach didn't recruit a JC guy, say from California? I mean, that's the most dominating position in all of football, and if they can't win with the super seniors, it, it's going to be a tremendous rebuilding program. And, and yet, the quarterback position is just so unsettled. Could, well, couldn't you help uh, down there in Texas find a, a quarterback or two to head up this way? <laughs> oh, they got plenty of talent down there. It's just a question of getting somebody to go up there. But, right. Um, you know, that's, you know a, a quality quarterback makes everybody look good. And, and, and if they can't run the ball with, with those, you know, six-year you know, linemen, it's going to be years. And, you know, they might be down to 10,000 people in the stadium. If if he can't if he can't beat the mediocre teams so, out, you know. Let, let me already. let me just throw this in, and, and and Paul, you can comment on it. It doesn't matter what we do this year. It just doesn't matter. Those guys are going to be gone. He's going to be starting over, whether they won or lost this year. We we lose all the players anyway. We're going to be starting over. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, there was no chance that that they were going to have, I mean, they, they've played about as well this year as we could hope. They almost won a couple of games, and they did win. You know, they did manage to win, so it isn't like it's hopeless. But, I don't. I, I mean, they've, he's got to start from scratch. This, he's way behind. This is like running yeah, 100-yard like dash. When Mike, came in, uh, when Mike White came in that first year, he went out and got a quarterback with Wilson. Yeah, and he finished 3-8. and, and eight. Eight. Then he got and they didn't have that much. Yeah, but it. it yeah, but what? He finished three and eight. He had to have players around him. Yeah, but yeah, but <laughs> the quarterback he dominated Ohio State with six hundred yards passing. No other position dominates college football, and Illinois is not going to be able to recruit great offensive linemen. You know, they're not going to get great. They can get good, good players, but that's a position that it dominates the field. And I'm just shocked that that the coach didn't go out and get a a quality passer because they're out there. And teams get it. You look at the re, the rebuilding program at Kentucky. You, you look at some other programs that only take them a couple years. You need you need impact players, and Illinois doesn't have it. And, and their quarterback position is just a dearth of positions. And that's just to me the most shocking position because they can make offensive linemen look good. They can make receivers look good, um, as as White showed back then. And and whether it's uh, Jason Verduzco, whether it's Kurt Kittner. The quarterback position for Illinois has got to be, you know, a lot, a lot, lot better than what it is, and that's just kind of surprising to me, um, given that it hasn't, you know, I mean they've been getting athletes to play quarterback, and that's to me ridiculous unless you've got talent like Alabama's got, 
or you know Wisconsin or you know some of these other programs. But you need a passing guy, not an athlete playing quarterback. Good stuff, Michael. I don't think you'll find uh, too many people that um, follow with uh, passion. The orange and blue would disagree with you on that. Thanks for taking time to uh, to give us a call, Paul. That when I mentioned that Lorem was giving me that grouchy look, uh, it sounded <laughs> like that might be something you remembered. Yeah, we were roommates for a while, Steve. So I miss <laughs> that grouchy look. I I, I appreciate the um, the consistency. It, it's been almost ten years since I got to hang out with you guys all the time and it's hard to believe it's been that long and i don't think the conversations have changed (laughs) (laughs) is that good or bad i don't know about that well i want to say something real quick you know frank williams is is um probably my second or third favorite college basketball player that that i've ever seen illinois or anywhere and so i don't want to put curbello in that conversation that that guy was on a different plane. And I also don't want to forget about Darren. <laughs> oh, wow. D-Will was pretty good. I don't want to forget about Dimitri. I think Dimitri is the most underrated Illinois basketball player of the last 20 years. I saw him put up 20 assists at Purdue yep. at a really good Purdue team that was a crazy crowd that you shouldn't be able to have 20 assists against. So you've had some pretty good points. I, I think Curbelo I think Curbelo can be I think Curbelo can be an all American. I think he can be a second team all American. The thing that they've gotta do is they gotta be ready for him because the ball is coming to you when you think it's not coming to you. Well, and if you get ready. those shooters and if you get those shooters around the perimeter, that is the best spot you can be. You pick the right college because he's gonna find you. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to watch this kid, but I'm not going the Frank route quite yet. Well, I'm, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't ever started a game in college. How about that? And <laughs> right. and and you know, and Frank was special. There's no question. All I'm saying to you is they're different. They're they're just mm-hmm. not the same player. I mean, they're different mm-hmm. kinds of players. And 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 mm-hmm. Dimitri McCamey, I think McCamey's one of the problems with McCamey in in being respected totally is the fact that Weber didn't. Weber was on him all the time, yeah. and, and it created the impression there was something wrong because Weber was always criticizing him and uh, publicly and, and, and on the court. So I, I think that was part. I don't think McCamey was near as good as Williams anyway, but, but I just think that there was a different way. Self had a way of promoting players. Self had a sp- <laughs> He still does. I mean, he's, there's something special about Self as a basketball coach. And I would say to you that if we knew – you know, if we knew then what we know now, and I think I kind of knew then what we know now, I'd have done anything to keep him. I'd have done anything. Mm. You know, I'd have done something really yeah. bad. <laughs> 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 Not you. I would have blown no, out. I, I go. I would have shot Lord, out his I tires. Go, I go. <laughs> I go. Mark Few. I go. Matt Painter too. Mm-hmm. Matt Painter's too. When we when we finally come to an agreement that the NCAA needs a guy that's overseeing college basketball, just one guy. It's Matt Painter. Mm-hmm. He needs to be running that show. And I go three with Coach Self. So those are my three right there. I think paint, I think those boilers are going to be really good. I got Jaden Ivey as a first-team All-American preseason. I got your big guy as a first-team te- first preseason All-American. I just love this Big Ten. I think I go Gonzaga one, Texas two, Kansas three, 
Purdue four and UCLA five. That's my top five so far. That's that's not bad. That's a lot. Of, and you know the, the the very interesting thing about this is where would UCLA be if they hadn't beaten Michigan State? Oh boy, and that's something. Fourteen down, weren't they? Well, twelve or fourteen down, and and uh, here's Michigan State. You know, barely getting in the tournament, and evidently wow. UCLA just got, barely got in the tournament because they were one of the first four in, and, and uh, or the last wow. four in, excuse me, and. What did they lost three games in a row before that? I think so. Yeah, they were bad. Yeah, yeah. They came through here. They came through Boulder, and I saw them. I said they should be a lot better than they are. They got guys. You know, Juzang. He's. I made this. Gracious. I made that this final. point the other day. They wouldn't be ranked so high now if they hadn't done so well in the tournament last. You know, last. Uh, uh, during, oh, no. You know, in the tournament yeah. itself. Paul, no, Klee, uh, you make a good point. Paul, having a ten-month-old. A little guy running around. What's that done to your passion for fly fishing and such? <laughs> I, I forgot what that is. <laughs> I, uh, I got this set up, though, in my, in my office at home because I, I haven't really left my house in a year and a half where I can tie my flies. So I tie flies, and Johnny can just hang out in the office in his little cubicle so he can play with his stuff and crawl around and you know, yell at me and watch Charlie Woods videos. So <laughs> you, you've introduced an idea now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to swap out the Charlie Woods swing technique videos, and I'm going to put on Frank Williams highlights now there you go. for the rest of the year. So he gets that by, uh, what do you call it, osmosis yeah. into his brain by seeing Frank. And he'll be, uh, he'll be throwing some behind-the-back passes before you know it. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, it, you know, this is a silly story, but this was back when I was a kid, and we had a we had a first team All American at Gonzaga. It was Dan Dickow. He was an unbelievable college player. Dan Dickow never missed a Frank Williams game. That was a first team All American's favorite player, <laughs> and that told me I need to tune in and watch Frank Williams every time he's on TV. We probably talk too much about Frank, but he's my favorite college basketball player of the last twenty years, so I, I don't mind doing it. Hey, Paul, always good to catch up with you. We appreciate your time. We'll, uh, we'll do it a little quicker this time between uh, stops, but thanks. All right, guys. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. You bet. Okay, Paul. Paul Klee with the Gazette out in Colorado, Colorado Springs, but he's based in Denver, covers all the Denver sports there. It is 1037, and I'm Ipella Saturday Sports Talk, and we're back with more after this. Where Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk continues with Lauren Tate and yours truly, Steve Kelly, with you until 11. We've got our next guest standing by, but a phone call first from Alan about the Illinois quarterback. Is that right, Alan? What's on your mind? Yeah, uh, since we know that is our number one need for the team, do you think we not only we need one, but maybe two quarterbacks? Sure. Well, they got one quarterback. Went in already. Um, uh, I think his name is Leary from out east. Out east, and and I'm sure that they will high school. Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll okay. find. A, I'm sure they'll find a, a transfer a transfer somewhere. I'm, I'm. I mean, that'll be the number one priority, and number two priority will be finding a couple of offensive linemen and a couple of defensive linemen. I mean, but uh, they're okay in some positions. I think they'd be okay at linebacker. I think they'd be okay in the secondary. But uh, and I think they'll be okay at tight end. But they got an, uh, and by the way, they they could use another receiver, <laughs> a real or three re- uh, or three. Yeah. Anything else, uh, Alan? One bright spot. 
One more bright spot on defense is Kirby Joseph. Mm-hmm. I like his quickness, and I like the way he looks for the ball. Well, he's uh, he's the only guy in the country that's what he's got six. He's got three interceptions and three fumble recovers. Yep. So I think he leads the nation in in six turnovers. Well, there you go. I mean, he's looking for the ball better than the rest of our other cornerbacks are doing, the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Alan, thanks as always for the call. We appreciate it. Let's say good morning to David Jones, who covers Penn State out in the Happy Valley for PennLive.com and Patriot News. David, how are you? I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of off. We're doing a, uh, an open week show that we always do anyway. But uh, Penn State and, as Lauren mentioned, Penn State and Illinois could have just played today, huh? <laughs> they could have gotten it over with. Yeah, that, that's not off. Off as off. You're working. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> What's the quarterback situation since we were talking about that here? What is it out there with the Nittany Lions? Well, Sean Clifford's banged up. He got uh, – uh, shoulder pads in the ribs, which doesn't feel too good. I don't know that he'll play. I don't know that he won't play, but I, I don't really expect him to play against Illinois. I think uh, Taquan Roberson will uh, probably play, and uh, they'll hope to get him ready for Ohio State. You think they'll look past Illinois <laughs> for, for, with Ohio State coming up? I'm joking, of it's course. It's possible, Lauren. <laughs> well, the, I think they looked past Illinois in the first quarter last year. Illinois scored 21 points, but that was it. And I don't, I don't know what. Uh, I, I, maybe that's uh, when, uh, maybe that's when Beal m- might have gotten the idea of what he was up against when he saw what happened on the field against Penn State in, that, in those last three quarters last year. But anyway, what's your, what's your take on on Penn State this year, and and how far can they go and and can they beat Ohio State this year? Unless um, Sean Clifford is totally healthy, they can't. Okay. Uh, Ohio State just has so many great players, great athletes. They've got them stacked like cordwood. So I wouldn't have given them that much of a chance anyway. But with this, I mean, you get Jack Campbell's a big boy, man. Jack Campbell's like six five and two forty five, I think he is. And he just got a running start, and it was a it was a clean hit. He hit him just as he got rid of the ball. And man, it can do damage, even if you don't break a rib. Uh, that's just that's blunt force trauma and soft tissue in there. And it just hurts, man. It's you can't do anything for at least a couple of weeks. I just don't think he could possibly be the same. Um, we'll see. But there's there's kind of a PTSD if you've ever played quarterback. If you get hit under there, all of a sudden you start acting like uh, you know Richard Pryor used to do a routine about when he tried boxing. <laughs> he, he left. He left his left jab out there a little too long, and that guy came up with a punch from Mississippi. And he, he did an impersonation of himself protecting both rib cages the rest of the fight. You know, that's that's what you feel like. And um, well, with the, the drop off, the drop off is so great from from Clifford to Roberson. They have no shot with Roberson, and with a, a banged up Clifford, it's going to be tough enough. <laughs> Excuse me. 
wanted to ask you about the – it looks to me like four of the top five teams in the, in the Big Ten are from the East. Do you see a continuation of talk about maybe adjusting the divisions, or do you think they'll stay geographically? I think you can do both. You can leave them geographic, but adjust them uh, to a to a lakes and plains alignment, northeast to southwest. I was talking so annoyingly and incessantly about this to Delaney and sending him everything I, I wrote for years that he even started mocking it, like everyone, all the rest of us were mocking legends and leaders. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Look, look, please, none of that. Please, none of that. It's, it's so stupid to do these arbitrary arrangements. No one can remember who's on whose divisions. Yeah. And it, it gets rid of the flavor of the geographic flavor of the divisions. They, they matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make any kind of argument you want that the population center of the league has continued to move toward the southeast, and it has. But if you do a, a, a lakes and plains kind of a northeast to southwest divisions arrangement, you can you can mitigate some of that. Ohio State goes into the plains. Um, they're going to be hard to beat over there, but it, it evens things out to some extent, and I think that would work. Well, do you hear anything that's are they are they talking about that? Do you think that the that the, the Big Ten presidents or the athletic directors will? We'll get around to discussing that, or, or are they? Kevin Warren? I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't get ready for last season. <laughs> and they couldn't decide where they wanted to play last season. No, I don't, I don't think they talk about much of anything. But I, uh, it's, if they left it geographic, it, it would be okay with me, even if it is so in, imbalanced. It is. Because... I think that flavor is important, and you still have so many times where one of the Western teams has upset one of the Eastern teams. It's happened over and over and over. Uh, Iowa, Purdue, Mm -hmm. Northwestern, everyone has has beaten one of the Eastern big boys. And, you know, the the teams in the East are just going to have to deal with it. We thought for a while the East was going to be overwhelmingly dominant this year and it turns out Maryland wasn't nearly as good as they their offense looked and Rutgers has come falling off the table and we don't really know how good Michigan is yet Michigan almost got beat at Nebraska well, let's let's pump the brakes on this a little bit you know I, I think you can stick with it for at least a while and see what happens yeah I think I was already three and0 against the east and so they're they, yeah. they, but I, I think they're the only team that has beaten an East team. They're the only team in the West that has beaten an East team. So well, I picked them to win the West because I just thought they had the most good players. The problem with the West is that the offense is never really cut loose. It doesn't seem like even Iowa. Uh, the, 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 every team seems like their defense dominates their offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense is just a lot better than the offense, mm-hmm. and that comes from not having as many dynamic skill players, I suppose. And yep. that comes from the recruiting honeypot of 
of the league pretty much being now the Mid-Atlantic. That's the way it is. It's true. And Nebraska and Iowa and Illinois are going to have a tougher time recruiting great football players. No they just are. Yep. Than they would than they would have thirty forty years ago. Well, what are you working on these days? Anything in particular? You got any special uh, any special subject that you're invading? Did you see this morning? No. What happened this morning? Well, I, I you've you've heard of the uh, the uh, feud between Ferentz and Franklin, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I. Went through the entire tape yesterday yeah. and found all the times that a Penn State player went down and put it on video and put the video clips up on a file. And to me, it doesn't look, it looks like they were all really hurt, except possibly the last one, which was Arnold Ebikini, who looked like he had a cramp the play before. He was limping, he was hobbling over the play before. So I think the whole problem last week, because those people didn't seem like Iowa people, those fans. They seemed like Eagles fans at the link. They didn't seem like themselves. I think the whole problem was alcohol. They started (laughs) serving unlimited alcohol practically. I mean, you could get two at a time at Kinnick for the first time this year. And I noticed it right away. Uh, I didn't understand why i just knew it was a really salty crowd and i don't like it i don't like it in college football i don't like players having to deal with it from the other team i mean it was it was like a philly crowd and that shouldn't happen at iowa uh about half the big 10 teams are serving alcohol out in the uh to the general population and we're going to see more more stuff like that. I mean, they were booing everything. They were booing the ball falling off the tape. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, they were they were behind. <laughs> that's what you do when you're behind. You boo and you're crum- yeah. That's what you're. That's and- what you do when you're behind and you're drunk. You know, <laughs> well, that's right. What was going on then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is that what we want? I don't want that. Well, that's what so we, we got. got. All of a sudden, <laughs> ill will between a couple of fan bases that always really respected each other. I think Iowa and Penn State fans genuinely like each other. Well, it's not like they're going to drive across the border to get to each other. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Backyard brawl, right? It's not going to happen, though. Is Franklin going to stay at at Penn State? I think USC is going to make it awfully tough for him. As long as he wins some games here in the second half, they're going to make it awfully tough for him to stay. That's my opinion. And he probably is ready for a move. I don't know what he's going to do. Okay. But if he's ever going to move, this would be the time. We said that of Jay Wright after, you know, a couple of national championships. Well, he needs a new challenge. But he didn't go. So I don't know. I just know they're very interested in him from what I've heard from agent sources. And I've been hearing that for three years. Mm -hmm. So – we will see. He can't fall on his face here. The team can't go eight and four or seven and five. Then he won't get the, get offered the job. But I think he's going to think long and hard about it. Hey, David, we appreciate your time. Always good to catch up with you. And uh, we'll uh, maybe bump into you out in Happy Valley next week. 
Okay, boys. We'll see you. You bet. All right. Thanks. David Jones from uh, PennLive.com out in Happy Valley at 1055. We'll take our final break and back with some final words after this. 1057, about three minutes left on this particular edition of Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk. You missed that baseball score last night. Houston over Boston 5-4. So the Astros take a 1-0 lead there and they'll play game two this afternoon. Game one of the National League Championship Series comes up tonight at 7. Dodgers at the Braves. Illinois Volleyball tonight at 6. You can hear it right here at number 9, Nebraska. Some high school scores from last night here before we go. And you can get coverage of uh, these games and others in uh, today's News Gazette. As always, Bloomington beat Champaign Central 7-0. Normal Community over Centennial 35-13. Monticello beat Prairie Central 12-0. So the Sages are 7-1 on the season heading into the uh, final week of the regular season. Unity beat uh, Paxton Buckley Loda. 35 to nothing. The Rockets are 8 and 0. St. Joe Ogden overran Tool to improve to 6 and 2. That uh, final score was 29 to 6. Arcola beat Villa Grove 28 to nothing. Tuscola 15, Warrensburg Latham 3. Muhammad Seymour at 8 and 0 on the season with an 18 to nothing win against Mattoon. Uh, Leroy beat Fisher 27 nothing and Danville lost in overtime to Thornwood. That game uh, Danville led until the fourth quarter, and uh, Thornwood tied it up, sending it in overtime and won it. That Bloomington Central uh, game, Central, uh, Champaign Central had the ball inside the 10-yard line in the final minute, but couldn't score to tie it. 7 right. or nothing they lost. And I would guess, I, that, I wasn't out all around the state, but I was out a little bit last night, and some of those games had Ooh, to have some weather issues. Think? <laughs> with I don't think there was any lightning necessarily, but the, a lot of rain, Yeah, no doubt about that. A lot that. of soggy fields. Soggy field. So what are you going to watch today? What's uh, on your agenda? Well, I'm going to watch Indiana and, and Michigan State play. I'm mm-hmm. going to watch Purdue and Iowa play, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch some Big Ten games. And maybe there aren't a lot of big games this week. Not like last week where you had Oklahoma, Texas. and Although you do have Oklahoma State in Texas this week. Yeah. And Georgia and Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. I'll be paying attention to that. I don't know if Kentucky can stay with them. I don't but, think they can. But, uh I saw Kentucky beat uh, Florida, which is mm-hmm. a feather in their cap. Yep. And and I think uh, the seven or eight uh, jumps that that uh, Florida had in the line, they, they they just couldn't they couldn't hear because those Kentucky fans were screaming. That's it for our show. WDWS News Talk fourteen hundred and ninety three nine FM Champaign Urbana for Lauren Tate. Thanks to our producer Dave Leak as well. Thanks for all of our guests and for your phone calls. We'll talk to you again soon. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.